Let's open our Bibles now to Job 17. Job chapter 17. We'll begin in verse 1. My breath is corrupt. My days are extinct. The graves are ready for me. Are there not mockers with me? And doth not mine eye continue in their provocation? Lay down now. Put me in a surety with thee. Who is he that will strike hands with me? Thou hast hid their heart from understanding. Therefore shalt thou not exalt them. He that speaketh flattery to his friends. Even the eyes of his children shall fail. He hath made me also a byword of the people. And aforetime I was a tabret. Mine eye also is dim by reason of sorrow. And all my members are as a shadow. Upright men will be astonished at this. And the innocent shall stir up himself against the hypocrite. The righteous also shall hold on his way. And he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. He'll grow. In grace. I'll tell you how he's going to grow stronger. By recognizing he's weaker. He's going to learn over and over and over again how weak he is so that he depends on Christ. That's how he becomes stronger and stronger. He'll grow in grace. But as for you all, do ye return and come now? For I cannot find one wise man among you. My days are past. My purposes are broken off. Even the thoughts of my heart. They change the night into day. The light is short because of darkness. If I wait, the grave is my house. I have made my bed in the darkness. I have said to corruption, thou art my father. To the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? They shall go down to the bars of the pit when our rest together is in the dust. Let's bow together. Our Father, we bow before you this morning. Father, we bow begging a blessing from your storehouses of grace. Father, we bow before you, worshiping you, acknowledging you are God above. And we're nothing but specks of dust. And Father, we beg of you that you'd be pleased to be merciful that you'd be pleased to condescend and meet with us and bless your word as it's preached. We pray that you'd take the word as it goes forth and that you would be the one to apply it to the hearts of each one here. Enable us to see the Lord Jesus Christ as he's preached and believe on him. Enable us to see him as our all in all, as everything that we need. Let us leave here this morning hoping and resting in Christ and Christ alone. Father, I thank you for this place. I thank you for a place you've given us to meet together and worship. And Father, I pray you'd protect it, that you would protect the gospel that's preached from this pulpit, that you would cause it, Father, to go forth in power. Father, for your glory, it certainly would be for our good. It would be a blessing to us that you keep your gospel here, that you continue to call out your sheep, that you continue to feed and comfort and edify your people. But Father, for your great namesake, would you cause your glory 
to shine forth in a dark place through the preaching of, of your darling son here in this place. Cause sinners to see him and run to him that you get all the glory in saving them and keeping them and preserving them. One day when it's time glorifying them. Father, we, we thank you for the many blessings. Oh, how you've blessed us. Father, it's so beyond measure. We can't even, can we say with David, we can't even count them all. Father, we're thankful. And I beg of you forgiveness for the times when after all you've done for us, we murmur and complain against your providence. Father, forgive us, we pray. We ask that you'd see us and hear us only in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, it's for his sake, his glory, and his name we pray. Amen. Now the question I want to look at this morning is a question that Job asked in verse 15. Where is my hope? I want each of us to ask ourselves that question right now. Where's my hope? What's my hope? Think about it. Everybody here had an answer. Everybody does. Our hope's in something. Everybody has a hope in something. Maybe we hope that God will see us and say our good, you know, outweighs our bad. Maybe we just hope that God will ignore our sin. Maybe we just hope it'll turn out all right in the end somehow. Maybe we hope, uh, you know, God will accept us because I was, uh, I was faithful and, and, uh, I gave and attended services and, but what's our hope? Were any of the, are any, any of those things a hope that will save us? I guess that's what I'm asking. What's our hope? Job says in verse 15, where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? Now I'll tell you why Job asked this question. Because he felt like very soon he's going to die. He didn't see how he physically could go on living in this trial that was crushing him. His body covered with boils and the, the pain and agony of body and heart he was in. And he thought very soon he's going to die. And he's going to stand before God in judgment. And when you think you're on the verge of eternity, that's got to come to your mind, doesn't it? What's my hope? What is my hope? What is my hope of being accepted of God? And I tell you, that would be a very good thing to be on our minds this morning. We will be amazed at how quickly we're going to die and stand before God in judgment. We're going to be amazed how quickly that that happens. The scripture promises that. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And since that's a sure thing for all of us, we'd be wise to be like Job and ask, where's my hope? Where's my hope? Where can I find a good hope for my soul? I tell you this often in scripture, the word hope means an expectation. It doesn't mean well, I hope, you know, the outcome is, is uncertain, but I hope it'll turn out the way I want. No, the believer has an expectation. It's an expectation. Now, is there any grounds by which a sinful man like me can expect God to accept me? Is there any grounds I can expect that? Well, Job knows some things. He knows some things about himself, and he knows some, some places his hope is not. First, Job says, my hope is not in myself. 
There's not anything that I can do. Look back at verse 1. He says, my breath is corrupt. My days are extinct. The graves are ready for me. I'm about ready to die and go to the grave. In verse 11, he says, my days are past. My purposes are, are broken off. Everything I purpose to do that can't happen now, even the thoughts of my heart. They change the night into day. The light is short because of darkness. If I wait, the grave is my house. That's where, that's where I'm going to live. I've made my bed in the darkness. I've said to corruption, thou art my father. To the worm, thou art my mother and my sister. Job knows this. He's a dead and dying man. He knows his sinful flesh must die and it's going to happen soon. Job knows that his hope is not anything that he can do or not do with his corrupt flesh. This flesh that is dying. Dead flesh. Dead spiritual flesh. Can't do anything to please the living God, can it? Now we know that. Let me quote you a few scriptures that describe man. And that's all of us. Psalm 39 verse 5. Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. I mean at our best state, we're vanity. We're empty. We last just as long as a breath of air. Just a puff of air, you can see your breath on a cold winter's morning. How long does it last? It's gone. That's us. Just empty. Everything that man can do is empty of any spiritual good. Anything that can save our souls. In Genesis 8 verse 21, the Lord said that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. You know, we don't start out all, all pure and innocent and learn to be evil. We start out that way. We start out evil. And it doesn't get any better as we grow older. David said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, if I shape in iniquity, as conceived in sin, what can you expect of me? Huh? Nothing but sin. David said, my nature is sin. That's my nature. So all I can do is sin. I certainly can't make myself savable. David said in Psalm 143, verse 2, Enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. No man. None None of us. With all of our morality, with all of our civilized uh, behavior and, and, and these things, we can't do anything to make ourselves justified in the sight of Almighty God. The only thing I can expect from what I do is death and condemnation. Because that's all my dead sinful flesh can produce. It'll never please God. So my hope's not in myself. I can't be. My hope is not in my religious friends. You know, you know this. You know this already. I love you all and admire you all. I am very, very, very thankful to be able to count you as my friends. I can't put my hope in you. My friends are cut out of the same sinful cloth that I am. They got the same sinful nature I do. Job's the same way. Look what he says in verse 2. Are there not mockers with me? And doth not mine eye continue in their provocation? Lay down now. Put me in a surety with thee. 
Who is he that will strike hands with me? For thou hast hid their heart from understanding. Therefore shalt thou not exalt them. In verse 10, he says, But as for you all, these friends, these miserable comforters that come to him, he says, Do you return and come now? For I cannot find one wise man among you. Job tells his friends, he said, Now, boy, you boys talk a good religious game. I mean, boy, you use a lot of religious dark, uh, jargon. You talk about a lot of, a lot of too, true doctrine. You know, you're, you're right about what you say about, you know, man's sin has ramifications in, in these kind of things. You talk a good religious game. They're, they're, uh, folks that Brother Henry used to say straight as a gun barrel and twice as empty. Cause Job calls them in chapter 16, verse two, miserable comforters. They're saying true things. You can't really look and say they're not saying something that's untrue, but they're miserable comforters. They're not good friends. I mean, just use this as an example. One of the couples here, their spouse dies. You know, it wouldn't be, it, 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 it wouldn't be very wise to go to them and say, you know, they wouldn't have died if they weren't such a sinner. I mean, that, that's a true statement, but is it true? I mean, is it, that's, that's not comforting, is it? Job's friends sound real religious, but he said there's no wisdom in it. God's hid wisdom from your heart. There's no wisdom in what you're saying. You come to mourn with me. He says, but all I'm hearing from you is insults and mocking. I just see, I'm just continuing in this. You're insulting me and mocking me. You're so self-righteous and self-important. Like you think, you know, this has happened to me because I'm so low down. It's not happened to you because because you please God so much. He's God's not going to exalt that. God's not going to exalt that. You know, religious friends, religious folks, they can use a lot of uh, flowery religious words. They can they can use some great big old religious words. But I'm telling you, they're useless unless what they say points us to Christ. It's worthless. I'd a whole lot rather hear a simple, plain man use five-cent words to exalt Christ than a highly intelligent man using $10 words that you know nobody can understand. And basically what it does is to exalt him. Everybody says, wow, how smart he is, you know. I'd a whole lot rather hear just plain, simple language that points me to Christ. That's my favorite preaching. You know, these folks with all their, their religious talk and things, I mean, I, I hear them sometimes, and I think, I don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. They can impress me. I mean, they can get over my head pretty quick, but they can't make themselves righteous. If I try to hang around with them, they can't make me righteous either. Then third, Job knew this. He said, my hope is not in the riches of this world. Look over at chapter 31 of Job. It's a good thing Job's hope wasn't in these earthly riches because he lost them all, hadn't he? He lost all of his wealth. In Job chapter 31, Job is talking about all the things that would be useless for him to have put his trust in. Verse 24. He said, if I made gold my hope, or I said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. If I rejoiced because my wealth was great and because mine hand had gotten much, 
What Job's saying is, I would have been sorely disappointed if I put my confidence and my hope in those earthly riches. You know, you and I are wealthy. If you compare us to to a lot of people, um, even in our country, people in other parts of the world, certainly people in, in other times in history, you and I are quite wealthy, quite comfortable. We really are, and I'm and I'm I'm thankful. Um, my daughter Savannah, I had a silly conversation recently about uh, if you could travel in time, you know, would, would you go go back to the to the 1800s? And here's what she and I concluded: No. You know why, Gary? There's no air conditioning. <laughs> I mean, we got air conditioning. That's rich. I mean, you know, that's wealthy. There's no indoor plumbing. I like indoor plumbing. I don't want to have to go out in the, you know to an outhouse in the you know cold you know winter or something. I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I mean, aren't you? I'm thankful for those things. But let's not ever mistake creature comforts for comfort of soul. Let's not ever, ever think, well, just because I've got enough money to pay my bills and I got enough money to retire comfortably. Don't think, don't use that to think I've got enough to, to pay my sin debt to God. That I've got enough to make God Satisfied with me. I may have enough to get along in this world. But unless God gives it to me, I don't have enough to satisfy God. I don't. What did the Apostle Peter say about that? He said, you know this. You know this. We're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold for your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Our money our earthly possessions, our creature comforts are just as worthless as our good works as an offering to God for him to redeem our souls. Useless. A good hope of eternal life can't be found in us anywhere. Well, Job knew that. Just look at him sitting there in 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 the ashes with a piece of broken pottery scraping the boils off of his body. Lost everything. People in the town, they won't talk to him. They, they, everybody used to highly esteem Job. They see Job now and they, they kind of, you know, look away. Job said, now where's my hope? I mean, when physically and emotionally it's gotten as bad as it can get. The night can't get any darker for poor old Job. Where's my hope? Well, this is what Job knew. He asked the question, but he already knew the answer to it. My hope's in Christ. As soon as I gave you my title, you knew the answer to it, didn't you? My hope is Christ. The only hope a sinner can have of eternal life is in Christ, the Savior. The only reason any son of Adam can expect eternal life is the Lord Jesus Christ. I know this. I have to be righteous to be accepted of God. I must be perfect. Well, Christ is my hope. Christ is my expectation of righteousness. My hope is Christ. Is Christ my righteousness? And that was Job's hope too. Look what he says in verse 9. The righteous shall hold his way. And he that hath clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. 
Now, how did he become righteous? Christ made him righteous. How did he have, how did he have clean hands? Christ washed him, washed him in his blood. The righteous people are people who are righteous in Christ. They didn't make themselves righteous by their own obedience to the law. They're righteous because Christ obeyed the law for them as their representative. So they're righteous in Christ. And let me tell you, that righteousness is real and it's perfect. It's not the righteous. They're not, well, God says that we're just going to pretend like they're righteous even though they're really not. God can't do that. He sees things as they really are. It's not like, well, they're not righteous now, but they will be someday in heaven. No, the righteous are perfectly righteous now. Right now. If you're, if you believe Christ, you're righteous now. And you'll never be any more righteous than you are now. Their righteousness and their salvation is perfect. You know why? Because Christ accomplished it for them. They didn't do it themselves. Christ did it for them. Salvation is the work of God. And everything God does is perfect, isn't it? So that's why the righteous shall hold on his way. The righteous won't leave Christ and become unrighteous again. The righteous will hold on his way. You know why? God won't let him go. (laughs) That's why he's going to hold on his way. Here's what Job is saying. This trial has thrown me for a loop. I mean, he's complained about it. It's thrown him for a loop. But he says, I also know this. I'm going to hold on my way. I'm going to hold on my way because Christ won't let me go. The righteous holds on his way because when God saves his people by his grace, he keeps them by his grace too. The righteous holds on his way because God's begun a good work in him. And this is what you can bank on. If God's begun a good work, he's going to finish it. He's going to finish it. Look at Romans chapter 8. Here's another reason the righteous will hold on his way. It's because of the love of God. Not our love for God. Now, God's love for us. Romans 8. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? That's where Job's at, isn't it? In tribulation, distress, and persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it's written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded, I'm confident of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That sounds pretty sure, doesn't it? You know why it sounds pretty sure? Because it is. It is. God's love will not let his people go. Then look at 1 John chapter 3. The righteous will hold on his way. He's not going to depart from Christ. He's not going to leave you. He's going to hold on his way because the new nature that's born of God in him is righteous. 1 John 3, verse 9. 
Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he's born of God. That new man, born of God, cannot sin. Now this flesh, all it can do is sin. But that new man, born of God, cannot sin. This nature of flesh is going to try to get us to leave God and quit trusting Christ and trusting something that we do, and it'll never quit quit that as long as this flesh lives. But the new man won't do it. Because he cannot sin. Because his seed, the seed, the holy seed of the word of God remains in him. He'll always be righteous. Now God's right. He's just. He's never going to cast a righteous person away. Because there's no reason for him to do it. So the righteous will hold on his way. You see, everything the believer hopes for, everything the the believer ever expects from God, it's all in Christ. And really, it's more accurately said, it all is Christ. It is Christ. Job admitted he was a sinner. You and I are sinners, just like Job was. Well, what's a guilty sinner's best hope? Has to be mercy, doesn't it? Has to be mercy. Well, I covered this in the lesson this morning. The only hope a sinner has for mercy is for Christ's sake. He's got to be the beginning of it. That was that was David's hope. He said in Psalm 33, verse 22, Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. David said, my hope, my expectation is mercy. Not merit, mercy. Mercy, because Christ earned it for me. And I tell you, hoping in God's mercy That's a good hope. That's a good hope for a sinner. Because David said in Psalm 130 verse 7, Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is mercy. Not there could be mercy. Not sometimes there's mercy. With the Lord, there is mercy. And with him is plenteous redemption. I like that phrase, plenteous redemption, don't you? I got plenty of sin. I need plenteous redemption. You know why there's plenty of redemption for guilty sinners? Because the Lord has plenty of mercy. It's a good hope, isn't it? Hope in God's mercy. Then the believer has a hope, has an expectation in God's word, because of God's word. Everything that the believer expects, there's a concrete foundation a rock-solid foundation for that expectation. It's what God says in His Word. It's not what some preacher said. It's not what some preacher of the past said. It's not what some great theologian of the past said. It's what God's Word says. We hope in God's Word. David said Psalm 119, verse 74, They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I've hoped in thy Word. The believer has an expectation to one day see Christ face to face, don't we? One day we're going to be mighty glad to see him. And we'll say, boy, everything, everything he said in his word was true. I didn't understand it all exactly at the time, but I see it now. It's a good hope in God's word. I'm telling you, 
as far as your soul goes, as far as your soul goes, if somebody can't show it to you from the Word of God, don't you believe it? And Gary and I were talking about this last night. Now, don't just take a, a verse off the page and pull it out of the whole rest of the Bible and say, this is what this means and this is why I'm opening it. That verse, the meaning of it, has to agree with every other verse in the Word of God. That's how you know what that verse means. Find out what God's Word says and ask God to give you faith to believe. If He does, you'll trust Christ. Because that's what this book is written for. Now remember I told you that believer's hope is an expectation. Do you know if you believe on Christ, you have a right to expect eternal life. You do. You have a right to expect that. You know why? Because he promised it. He promised it. It's right to believe the promise of God, isn't it? You have a right to expect one day when this mess is over, to be exalted together with Christ. Now, the only reason sinners like you and me could possibly expect that is God's grace. He's gracious to sinners. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 16. Now the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation, and a good hope through grace. Good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts. Establish you in every good word and work. Now how can you expect to have this everlasting consolation, eternal life, through grace? How can you expect God's going to comfort your heart? You know, the Lord sends trials. He's promised he's going to send trials to his people. And if I've learned anything, this is what I've learned. God's grace is sufficient. He said so in his word. He said so in his word. You know, I've I've been, you, you all know this, I've been taught the scriptures from the time I could understand language. And I always believed that that was true. I believed it because God's word said it, so you know, I believe that that's true. But after the Lord sends a few trials, and you cannot survive the next minute unless He gives you grace that's sufficient, and He does. Now I believe it. Now I believe it. How can you expect God's going to bless every good word and work? Grace. Grace. It's not me. It's not because I knew the right words. It's not because I did the right thing. Grace. Grace. It's the only reason we can expect any of these things is because of God's grace. Now look at Colossians chapter 1. This hope in Christ. I want you to leave here this morning hoping, confident in Christ. Here's the thing about hope in Christ. It's expectation. It's a living hope. It's not just a hope that something that you know we read about like you're reading the Bible, like you're reading a history book. 
A hope in Christ is a living hope. It's a living hope that God's put in his people, in their hearts. Colossians 1, verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, for you can ever expect glory with God in heaven, Christ must be in you first. He's got to be in you. Nobody can expect glory in heaven unless there's first been done a work of grace in our hearts, in us. And that work that Paul is talking about there, it's a, it's a mystery. It's the mystery of the new birth. How God the Holy Spirit causes a new man to be born in the hearts of his people. Nicodemus was smarter than all of us put together. And the Lord told him, you must be born again. And the only thing Nicodemus could think of to say is, how can these things be? He couldn't understand it. You know when you understand it? When God does a work in your heart. When God causes you to be born again, then you'll understand. The mystery will be, will be known because it's been experienced. In the book of Galatians, here's how the Apostle Paul describes salvation. Christ being formed in you. And Paul says, here's how much that matters to me. Here's how much I desire that this is my, my prayer for you. I travail. I mean, I work hard. It's, it's travail pains that a woman goes through and she's delivering a child. I travail. I work hard in the ministry. I work hard in study. I work hard in prayer, begging God, beseeching God to, to bless his word and be merciful so that Christ be formed in you. In you. Paul describes believers as the temple of the living God. The temple in Israel, that's where God dwelt. The Shekinah glory of God dwelt between those wings of the cherubim above the mercy seat. The temple's where God dwelt. You know why? You know why? Scripture, inerrant, without error. You know why scripture can call a, a, a believer, someone in the flesh, the temple of the living God? It's because Christ is formed in you. Christ lives in the heart. Look back at Romans chapter 8. Now what we're talking about here, this living hope, is vitally, vitally important. It seems like a lot of uh, religious folks seem to uh, see how important the work of the Father is in redemption. The Father had to, had to elect the people. He had to choose somebody saved or they never would be saved. Would and oh, they definitely see the importance of the work of the Son. He must be sacrificed. I might see that. But for some unknown reason, they make the Holy Spirit to just be, I mean, hardly mentioned, hardly thought of. And if they do, they think of them as making folks speak in tongues and, you know, froth at the mouth and roll around the floor or something, you know. Let me tell you this. There is no salvation if the Spirit does not dwell in us. None. The work of the Spirit is just as vital in redemption as the Father, Son. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'll show you that in Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So then, 
They that are in the flesh, they that have this fleshly nature, cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're not coming to God in the flesh, are you? You're coming to God by faith, trusting Christ. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in him, he is none of his. He don't belong to God unless the Spirit dwells in him. Now, Christ is our hope, isn't he? That's what Job is taught. Christ is our hope. The only expectation we have of any blessing from God is Christ. But Christ in you, that's the evidence that God has saved you. See that? That's the evidence. Christ done a work for his people. Now, he, he put their sin away. By the shedding of his precious blood, he put their sin, he justified them. He obeyed the law for them and made them righteous. His obedience is, is our obedience. Just as, just as sure as Adam's disobedience is our disobedience, Christ's obedience is the obedience of his people. He's done a work for his people. This thing legally has been satisfied. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. But the evidence that Christ has done a work for you is he's in you. He dwells in your hearts. Now there had, had to be some legal things taken care of in this matter of salvation. The father had to be satisfied. His justice had to be satisfied. The debt had to be paid. But salvation is also a new creature. It's a living hope. And the way the Holy Spirit gives that new nature, causes that new nature to be born, is through the preaching of the seed of the word of God. That's why when we preach, we preach the word. We preach the word. That's why we keep preaching Christ in Christ alone. My heart's desire is to know Christ. And right with that, I guess I'll be honest and say I'm selfish enough. My whole, I want to know Christ. but it affects my whole being. My whole, every action through the week. That you know Christ. That you know Christ. He's our salvation. And he's our only hope. And I pray the Lord make us leave here this morning hoping in Christ. If he does, That'd be a mighty good thing. Listen to what Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3, verse 26. It's good. Now here's a good thing. That a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. If we're hoping in that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, I think it's good to, to remember this. Jeremiah said that. That's the weeping prophet. He didn't say that when everything's going great. He had the tiger by the tail and a downhill pull in the shady side, did he? He's the weeping prophet. He said, it's good. We hope in the Lord. Wait for his salvation. I pray God do that for you and me this morning. Let's bow together. Father, how we thank you that you've given such 
clear direction on where our hope is, where the hope for a sinner is found in your word. How we thank you that you so clearly in your word point sinners to Christ. Father, I pray you give us the life and the faith this morning to look to him. As the children of Israel of old in the wilderness when they were bitten by the serpents and dying. Father, cause us to look, to look to Christ lifted up and live. It's in Christ's name. For his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, Chris.